0: Welcome to our continuing 2018 educational webinar series. I'm Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Specialist for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. At FIRST Healthcare Compliance, we help you with a comprehensive compliance management solution tailored to your business, a hospital, hospital network, healthcare practice of any size, billing company, or skilled nursing facility. As part of our complimentary educational webinar series, we bring you experts from around the country to discuss relevant topics in the healthcare industry. We are so pleased to have Pam Joslin of Innovative Healthcare Consulting with us today. Pam has more than 20 years of medical practice management billing and coding reimbursement auditing and compliance experience. She is an engaging presenter via webinar classroom and conference on various topics that may impact each step in the life of the revenue cycle of every practice. She has managed in medical practices ranging from single to multi-specialty groups, including ASC, and is an advocate of process improvement and maximizing and empowering employees to bring about the best practice results for your organization. She has received her master's in management from the University of Phoenix. Pam maintains memberships in professional organizations to support her continuing cycle of learning in the ever changing healthcare industry. A copy of the slide deck is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions in the question box of your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your Paycom CEU certificate will be emailed to you from K- Paycom following the broadcast. There is no need to request it. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the hand- handout should be available for, for um, members, available with a button at the bottom right-hand side of your screen. Pam? Welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Catherine, and welcome, everybody, as we're gonna be talking about understanding the CERT findings. And CERT stands for uh, the Comprehensive Error Rate Testing. uh, That's part of a CMS program. And some of the results and the information that we have is gonna help you look at what your organization should be monitoring. And uh, look take a look at the CERT findings uh, it's a great opportunity for any organization it doesn't matter what size you are because it helps you uh, identify the potential errors and look at them the same way that auditors on, are going to do so there's millions of physicians you know across the united states and when you're setting up your auditing organization and you're looking at you know what um what parameters should we uh, be auditing Taking a look at what is being measured by the CERT is a great opportunity to help you know what is being targeted or what is high risk information that CMS is looking at. So I want to welcome you. I realize that discussing CERT findings is not something that you may talk about over coffee or tea, you know, in a regular um, management meeting, but I hope that by the end of the presentation, and sharing this information that you do um, make it a practice to go in on an annual basis. Look at the information in the CERT findings and do make it a regular part of the conversations that you have on your compliance and your management team. We're going to talk a a brief history, um, the objectives of CERT this cert process and then the last thing we're going to do is look at the health and human uh, services agency financial report Uh, i just have some excerpts from that i have the link it's 70 some uh, pages of great information so i have the link there for you at at the back on the resources page and you can go in and just pull the information that's relative to your organization So we're looking at this cert, it was released in January of this year, the reporting year for it is 2017 and the claims that were submitted came from July the 1st, 2015 to June the 30th of 2016. So let's just take a little brief uh, history, if you're not familiar with the Comprehensive Error Rate Testing, and if you are, this would be a nice uh, review for you. So uh, back in 1996, the Medicare fee-for-service improper payment rate uh, was beginning uh, to be measured. The Department of Health and Human Services and the Office of the Inspector General were responsible for estimating this national Medicare fee-for-service improper payment rate from 1996 through 2002. So when we talk about improper payments, we understand as healthcare entities that is just not uh, good enough to think that just because something got paid that it should have been paid uh there needs to be some type of auditing pre payment wise because if you do everything it's valuable to do uh, post payment of course but once if you don't do any prepayment then all the errors uh, have already been sent out of your system uh to CMS so, auditing um, prepayment before you send it out your system and external payment, uh, there's a delicate uh, mix there as well. So, originally, the Office of Inspector General designed its sampling to estimate a national Medicare fee for service uh, paid claims improper payment rate. But they only had a small sampling back then. They were only sampling around 6,000 claims. So with all the millions of providers and the claims that goes into Medicare, I think you would agree that just the small sampling of 6,000 really didn't give them a good sampling of what was going on there. So the OIG, was unable able to uh, do uh, an accurate report for the uh, improper payment rates by contractor contractor type service type and provider type so the sampling size was increased when cms began producing the medicare fee-for-service improper payment model back in 2003. and the goals the objectives of the cert program is to calculate the medicare fee-for-service program improper payment rate they select a uh, stratified random sample of about fifty thousand claims now going from six thousand to fifty thousand claims that's being submitted to Part A and to Part B uh, through your MAX or your Medicare Administrative Contractors and also your durable medical equipment or your uh MAX for your DNA C uh, during this reporting period. So the CERP program looks at payments that should have not been made or that was paid at an incorrect amount, and this includes overpayments and underpayments. So when you're looking at setting up an auditing process, auditing monitoring process in your organization, you want to be looking at overpayments and underpayments as well. And it's also important to note that the improper payment rate does not measure fraud. It just estimates the payments that did not meet the Medicare coverage, coding, and billing guidelines. So already off the the start, just understanding uh, there's some criteria uh, that we have that that is measured in the CERT program that you can certainly mirror in your organization. And doing what um, this program does, it refers back to the Medicare coverage coding and billing rules or guidelines. So, first step in your organization, that would be part of uh, your structure, Uh, whether you're actively engaged, sometimes we kind of get busy and we deviate from what we were doing, but if you're looking at setting up a proper program that mirrors CERT, those would be a couple first steps. So looking at, because we're looking at the physical year, that was the reporting uh, year uh, for this report. And the Medicare fee-for-service program improper payment rate is 9.51%. But that's less than 10% and you think whoop whoop, that's really good for all the Medicare claims uh, that is billed out. But in essence, we have to look at the monetary loss for that as well. And it represents $36.21 billion in improper payments. But compared to the fiscal year 2016, the improper payment rate was 11% and give or take a few $41.08 billion in improper payments, so we we are doing a little bit better than last year. So the table on the next slide is going to look at the improper payment rate and the projected improper payment rate for the fiscal year 2017, and once again, just a reminder of how the cycle works as reporting period for 2017 goes back from July the 1st 2015 to June the 30th 2016. So we look at the service types on the left hand uh, side here so and this is what you're going to see consistently through the presentation. We have part A These are the providers that are excluded in the hospital inpatient prospective payment uh, system. We have Part B providers, and we have our durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics, and supplies. And then we also have hospitals um, that include the the inpatient prospective payment system. So I didn't uh, do the expanse of information. I did not do all of the slides for all of these service types. I do do have some that's in comparison like this one, but uh, I did uh, randomly, you know, pulled some of the service types so you could just get a sense of how you need to choose your service type, your entity, go into this document, and pull all the relative um, information that will help you be successful. So in the improper payment rate, overall was 9.51. You had the Part A without the IPPS, was 11.31%, which is $18.24 billion. Moving down to part B, theirs was $9.85 billion for a 10.16% improper payment rate. The durable medical equipment, prosthetics, orthotics and supplies was a 44.60% with $3.65 billion. Looking at the hospital IPPS, 3.91, for a $4.46 billion, all combining into 36.21 billion in proper payments for this reporting year. So let's look at the steps. So when they calculate the Medicare fee for service and proper payment rate, the first step is this random sampling, uh, the one that went from 6,000 to around 50,000 Medicare claims that they pull. So, looking at a portion of the claims uh, in this report, you'll see that it was sampled for the 2017 report year. It was unviewable because the claim adjudication process was incomplete, and that means that the MAC or the Medicare administrative contractor has returned the claim to the provider or the supplier. So, they pulled the 50,000 claims, and then there's a portion of them um, that were unviewable. So, then the second step is a medical record request if uh, your organization, your provider has um, been lucky and they're one of the 50,000 that has been pulled in this uh, stratified random sampling. Then they identify that claim as part of the sample and then they will request um, the documentation. They're gonna send you a letter Uh, ask for the associated medical records for that sampling and any other pertinent documentation from the provider or the supplier who submitted the claim. And what you need to understand about this as well, if you are a DME POS provider and clinical diagnostic or lab services, in addition to uh, the request sent to the billing provider and supplier, the referring physician. If you are a referring physician and that is part of your the way you you do business with your patients, uh, you can expect to also receive a request for documentation. And they do this because sometimes a referring provider maintains the documentation to support the medical necessity of the services that have been built. And should the CERT program receive no documentation within the 75 days of its initial request, it just scores the claim as an improper payment and it's filed under the no documentation uh, criteria. And we'll look at that in just a minute. And the CERT program also will make phone calls to validate the provider's uh, or the supplier's contact information and also uh, address any questions that you may have about the request that you have received. And they send at least three subsequent letters, and when the provider or supplier fails to respond within the initial request, here's where you have um, the 75 days to the initial request, and then it's going to uh, pop over in the no documentation error category. Review of the claims and assignment of the error categories. So once again, this is very important information as you're structuring your auditing program and what you should be looking at, uh, just reviewing the basic error categories that they look at. So the medical um, review professionals, they look at the claim, submit a documentation, make a determination of whether the claim was paid or denied appropriately these reviewers uh, generally include nurses or physicians unless this task has been delegated to some other uh, licensed healthcare professional so they review the documentation the start programming examines the cms claim system they're looking for medicare benny eligibility duplicate claims medicare as the primary insurer so when looking at the claims review the CERT program checks for compliance with the Medicare statutes and regulations which tie to uh, the information in the National Coverage Determinations, NCDs and the LCDs. And after they're looking at this information, they've made the determination, then the reason for the improper payment um, is, comes over to the error category for the claim. Uh, here are the different era categories that each of these claims is gonna be placed in. Either there's no documentation, insufficient documentation, incorrect coding, lack of medical necessity, or some other um, problem. So the no documentation, Uh, claims get placed into this category when the provider or the supplier fails to respond to the repeated request for the medical records or when the provider or supplier responds that they don't have the requested documentation Uh, this is uh, definitely something that would you would want to have part of your auditing and if you do this before you send out the claims then you will be aware um, that there's no documentation for the claim that is queued up for you to send out from your system. Looking at insufficient documentation, uh, this means that the claims are pay, placed into this category when the medical documentation that's been submitted is inadequate to support the payment for the services that are billed. So in other words, your CERT contractor reviewers could not come to a conclusion that the bill of services were actually provided uh, at the service they were billed and if they were medically necessary. So if your claim is placed into this category, uh, where there's a specific documentation element that is required for payment, this means that 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 particular element is uh, missing. This can be a physician signature on an order or even a form that's required to be completed as part of the claims cycle. So looking at incorrect coding, uh, claims are placed into this category when the provider or the supplier submits medical documentation that supports uh, a different code that is billed, that the service was performed by someone other than the billing provider or the supplier, that the billed service was unbundled, or that the beneficiary was discharged to a site other than the one that is coded on the claim. And then we have medical necessity uh, if your claim is placed into this category uh, when the cert contractor does the reviewing uh, looking at the adequate documentation from the medical records that has been submitted they're going to make an informed decision that the service billed was not medically necessary based upon the payment policies and the medicare coverage guidelines and then other course, we have to have another category and everything. So if your claims make it to this category and there was an improper payment and it does not fit into any other uh, categories, maybe it's a duplicate payment error or a non-covered or unallowable service, or maybe this was an ineligible Medicare Benny that they discovered during uh, the sampling. So the CERT program will notify your local MAC of the improper payments that have been identified through the CERT process, then it's your local MAC that's going to repay the un- underpayment and recoup the overpayment uh, from your entity. And tracking appeals, providers, suppliers, uh, beneficiaries have the right to appeal any of the improper um, payment determination that's made by the CERT program provided that they meet the filing requirements. And uh, it should be noted that there is a minimum amount in controversy for each of these levels uh, that uh, must be met before you can uh, dispute the claims. So I gave you just, uh, this is from, uh, you have the links over here on the right side, you have the timeframes, uh, the level of appeal, the summary of the review process, who performs the review, when must you request an appeal, when should you get a decision, and the links to each of these forms. And I also have the link to um, this table uh, back on my resources page. So when they're looking at uh, determining the improper payment amount, uh, each of the MACs uh, contribution to this overall improper payment rate is proportionate to the um, a share of the total Medicare payments. So the CERT program projects the sampling to be the claims of what they call uh, their universe, statistically. And these calculations made a national precision of 2.5% points, 90% confidence is required by the Improper Payments Elimination and Recovery Act of 2012. So they have their own uh, statistical information um, that's behind the results that you're gonna see in the report. And when they report the results, this claims universe or the sampling includes all the claims that have undergone final adjudication by the MACs, regardless of their final decision, uh, whether they decided to pay or reduce or deny the claim. And the improper payment rate includes both overpayments and underpayments. So the reconciliation of the improper payments. Then the CERT program is gonna notify your local MAC of the improper payments identified through the CERT process. The MACs then are gonna repay the underpayments and recoup the overpayments. And MACs can recover the overpayments that have identified in the sampling, but they can't recoup the projections that's made to the claims uh, universe. So the overpayments on the claim sampling of the report we're getting ready to look at during this time period Uh, was $36 billion. All right, let's look at the Department of Health and Human Services Agency Financial Report, better known as the HHS AFR. So we've talked about the history, we've talked about the process. And um, like I said, I've just extracted some important tables I touch on all the service areas, the two under Part A, Part B, and the DME POS. And the recommendation, this uh, report is like 70-some pages long, uh, but as an entity, it will be easy for you just to scan through and see which ones uh, really apply uh, to you. So uh, this is a document to supplement for the improper payment information. This is an annual report. This one here, uh, like I said, was shared um, around the first of the year two thousand eighteen So just knowing uh the time frame when the claims are generated, when the reporting period is, and when the report is available would be something that you would want to monitor in your organization and and you see that um this uh, used to be the IPIA for the Improper Payments Information Act back in 2002, uh, 2010. It became uh, Improper Payment Elimination and Recovery Act, or IPERA, and then 2012. Uh, they changed it to the Recovery Improvement Act, IPERIA. So this organization has undergone several uh, transitions. And what this does, it requires the improper payments reporting in this HHS um, annual financial report. So the Centers uh, for Medicare and Medicaid, or CMS, they measure the Medicare fee-for-service improper payment rate through this comprehensive error rate testing. So let's look here. Um, this is a payment accuracy, the 90.5 percent accuracy rate and the 9.5 percent improper payment rate. So look at the 90.5 percent. And you're, like we uh, talked before, oh, less than 10. Well, that looks that's pretty good. But look at the money. You ha- also have to look not only at the percentage, they also look at the monetary loss with a 9.5 percent. So the 90.55% is $344.6 billion, but then in the little gold piece of the pie, you see the 9.5% and it's $36.2 billion of improper payments. So here on the right-hand side of the the circle, you see the categories that we talked about and how they measure them. uh, this is important because when you're looking at your auditing system, or you're getting ready to set up uh, auditing process, or you want to make improvements, these are the, the five criteria that when you send your claims to Medicare, that they're being measured by. So I think that it would just um, make sense to use part of the same measurements uh, that your entity that's made audit you is going to be using. So looking at The dark blue at the top, that's the other, the 3.6%, and we looked at what other meant. Uh, The no documentation is right after that with a 1.7, and then we have the incorrect coding, which is 13.1, and then the medically necessary is a 17.5%. That's the goldish piece of the pie. And insufficient documentation, 64.1%. So these are the findings uh, based on the improper payment error rate category. So here we're going to look at it by um, service type. We have the DME POS. There first in our graph, and then we have a part A, and this includes the hospital IPPS. And then right beside that, we have the part A, hospital IPPS, and then part B. So, in comparisons for our different service types, uh, you can see the part A, uh, and these are all, of course, uh, grouped into the other slides that we have been seeing. So, we saw the the total amount and it was starting to break it down, the report starts to break it down as far as individual responsibility for uh, the different service types. So you see the DME, POS, they and Part A and Part B uh, struggle with the most of their improper payment rate, insufficient documentation. So if you're in those organizations, That would be part of what you would want to uh, be monitoring and giving feedback to your uh, providers. And then the Part A hospital, the IPPA, they have a little different struggle than the other service types. They uh, have a struggle uh, with uh, proving medical necessity with their documentation. Okay, here's the same criteria, only we're comparing home health the skilled nursing facilities, inpatient rehab facilities. And here again, the home health, the skilled nursing facilities struggle with insufficient documentation. And for the inpatient rehab facilities, their largest portion of the improper payments um, are through not meeting medical necessity. So we don't they don't just measure the percentages, they tie the money to that. Um, which makes it uh, more real to to all of us so looking at the uh, no document no documentation piece of that and the monetary amount was 613.24 the incorrect coding was um, 3686.87 Medical necessity is the 6334.76. Of course, we have other, then we have underpayments because this looks at overpayments and underpayments. And then we had insufficient documentation. And see that, that's tied through all the previous slides uh, that we saw where insufficient documentation in most of the entities was the problem for the improper payments. And this is in millions of dollars. So we look at insufficient documentation errors, there's a report inside of this report. So as you're structuring what you're gonna be looking for in your entity, this uh, on the left-hand side here, of this graph, missing inadequate orders, and that means that there's a valid provider's order or intent to order for certain services for the service supply that has not been submitted. Uh, missing an adequate plan of care, A valid provider's plan of care for the service has not been submitted. Missing inadequate adequate records, a required record uh, has not been submitted or has not been fully completed. Inconsistent records, the records submitted have inconsistent information in that. Maybe it's the date, provider, service, any information, et cetera, or there's an incorrect date of service that just doesn't match up with the claim that was sent out. And then the last, um, universe, era name and definition is certification and recertification, and that's where the certification, recertification requirements are not met. So within each of these error categories, uh, you also uh, have the opportunity to break that down because these are considered root causes of the insufficient documentation era. So when you're communicating with your providers, the more detailed information and the root causes that you can give them, the better success you'll have in improving as you move forward uh, with your program. All right, here is what it looks like. Um, The universe error is at a percentage of the improper payments due to the insufficient documentation. Here's the breakdown that we just talked about on the other slide. Um, Certification, recertification, that was a 29.8%. Inconsistent records, 6.1 uh, 6.1 is the Missing and Adequate Orders, then we have the Missing and Plan of Care, which is only the 1.5%, 26.3% of this insufficient documentation was missing or inadequate records. And then we have the Multiple Universe Errors. We have, you know, of course, like their, their other. All right, here's the claim type categories by percentage of insufficient documentation, improper payments by universe errors. So we have your Part A, including and excluding the hospital IPPS. You have your Part B and your DME POS. So let's take a look at that. Part A, what they struggled with in the insufficient documentation realm is their certification and their recertification. Looking at Part B, they had some problems with the missing inadequate records. Also, looking at inconsistent records, that was a problem for uh, Part B. The missing inadequate orders, once again, the Part A that excluded the hospital IPPS, that was an issue with them. And the missing inadequate plan of care as well for Part A. And looking at the multiple universe errors, once again, Part A. Uh, that was part of their challenges as well. All right, looking at the percentages um, of insufficient documentation payments by the multiple universe errors. Once again, the four different entities. Um, looking at Part A, the certification recertification of the missing inadequate records. And also struggled with the certification, recertification, inadequate plan of care, missing inadequate records, certification, recertification, missing inadequate orders, and inadequate plan of care. And they were also um, lumped into the other combination of the universe, errors. Part B is the winner there with the inconsistent records and the missing of inadequate records. So that would be um, a goldmine of information for you and your practices if you're in Part B and knowing how to uh, monitor that. Okay, these are the states, and uh, like I said, I didn't not all the slides that I put all the presentations because uh, it would just go on uh, forever. So I just chose some that I thought was um, was key. To understanding um, more about the CERT process. So look at the top three states, Texas, California, and Florida. For as long as I've been looking at the CERT report, they have been the top winners for years. They do have a lot of population. They have a lot of Medicare population. So here we look at the claims that was reviewed, the projected improper payments, the improper payment rate, the 95% confidence interval, and the percent of overall improper payment. So Texas, their projected improper payments was um, the millions, hundred five point four, and that's a 14.8% rate. And the overall percentage of improper payments for Texas uh, billing to the Medicare fee-for-service was 10.4%. Followed by California, 9.8%, Florida, 6.9%. And it starts to drop off um, after that. Here's the uh, second page of that, I did include that, and looking down at Vermont, North Dakota, Arkansas, Rhode Island, gets into the 0.1%. So you see the variance back here, with Texas having 10.4, and the lowest being 0.1%. Uh, this is by service type for each of the claims. Once again, this is great information for you as well. Uh, the winner here is having the most improper payments out of your lab test, other than the non-Medicare fee schedule. Established office visits, look at that one. Established office visit is number two with a 5.5% improper payment rate. And here we have the the topics. I like this because this would help you if you're looking at your office visits or any of the services. Um, I didn't include all of this slide, so you, this table D1. I kept that on the present on the PowerPoint for you as well because it would help you um, if you see a report that you want to get more information. Then going to the table will be more um, time efficient for you. So let's just say we're looking at established office visit and you have insufficient documentation for the established Just part of the sampling is 29.8%. Uh, here, the medical necessity was zero Incorrect coding was 67.6% and then none in others. So their overall improper payment weight was 2.3. 2.3 also for the hospital visit uh, subsequent. You have office visits that are new. You have insufficient documentation. With that, is 15.8%. So you understand why there's all of this, um, all these efforts in healthcare to streamline uh, E&M and also do more and more coding audits with your evaluation and management because these are, the insufficient documentation is very uh, well represented on this uh, CERT report. Uh, Okay, here's something else that is uh, good for you to look at is you can pull this report uh, from the initial report that talks about your individual specialties. So here we have internal medicine, and we're looking at the improper payments by provider, by claims type as well. So your internal medicine. They reviewed 1,841 claims from the sampling was pulled. The improper payment rate for them was 13.3%. Uh, clinical lab that showed up in the last slide as well. Ambulance services is um, high with a 9.1.9% of overall improper payments. Then we get into family practice and cardiology, physical therapists in the private practice. Um, hematology, oncology, emergency medicine, psychiatry, rheumatology, physical medicine, rehab, diagnostic, radiology. So you see with internal medicine, 3.6, and then it starts to drop off into um, the zero point percentages. So quite a contrast there for um the first couple, the clinical lab and the internal medicine. So what you should be doing is looking at this report and it goes on for pages, this is just the beginning of it, looking at your specialty and looking at what the improper uh, payments uh, criteria and what the errors are within this individual reporting because that's a great opportunity for you to mirror uh, what um, CMS, and what's gonna be reflected in the CERT program moving forward. So here's the second page of that where we have radiation oncology. And looking at the percentages, and you say, oh, 0.3%, that's pretty good. But look at the payments, not only looking at the percentages, but looking at within their random sampling how much that 0.3% for radiation oncology is Going to be uh, physician's assistant, interventional pain management, pain management, general surgery. Moving on down, uh, yes, dermatology is very low with the 0.2 percent, but looking at the, the improper payment rate 2.4 and what that equates out to um, in millions of dollars. Okay, EM, I couldn't leave our uh, webinar today unless we talk about EM. This is a great report as well. It's on table K4. So, subsequent hospital care, the 99233 code, the projected improper payments, uh, the, the percentage there, the, the 95% confidence interval is 11.8 to 14.8, but the improper payment rate for subsequent hospital care uh, billing codes is 13.3%. Emergency uh, department visit, and then we get into the 99214 and look at the projected improper payments for that. So here's um, just the first page of the final E&M codes, the projected improper payments. So once again, once you pull uh, your service type, then you get your uh, specialist digging into the e and doing some uh, pre and post payment auditing if you are not actively involved in that. But definitely try to get in a routine. I think you would be surprised as to what you find and you could use this uh, as a definite guide to your auditing process. Uh, you have your 9921413 uh, that are up there and your initial hospital care And then it drops down into the 99204, 215, very, very common codes here uh, in all of our practices. Because if you see the improper payment rate with this 50,000 random sampling that they pulled and you do your own sampling, within your organization, what is that going to look like in your own individual population? That's the way that you want to think about approaching using the information here in the CERT program to add value to your organization. Here's the provider type and each claim. This is the one I was talking about that I think is really gold. It's table J1. You have your chiropractic. What do they struggle with? Uh, 89.9% is insufficient documentation. The clinical labs is insufficient documentation 97.3% as well. Pain management insufficient documentation. So you see how the beginning of the slides and the uh the area the era categories and these are just looking at each of those um categories at a much um deeper level. So you can actually pull these reports and compare how your own uh, service type universe would compare to uh, the CERT findings. Once again, with uh, optometry, this is the second page of that, podiatry having uh, 80.0% insufficient documentation. Uh, Medical necessity is 5.4%. Uh, for uh, podiatry. Okay, this is a part A, excluding the hospital IPPS, inpatient rehab hospitals, Uh, their type of error, 99.5% on medical necessity. Looking at the inpatient rehab unit, insufficient documentation of theirs is 15.7 and the medical necessity is 84.3%. Uh, percent. Looking at their improper payment rate is uh, 34.8 for the inpatient rehab unit. So once again, it doesn't matter what entity you're working in, there's valuable information for you to go and do a prospective drill down. So I added this last uh, slide here for you uh, to look at the overpayments and the underpayment rates because this is another thing you want to be monitoring, auditing and monitoring in your organization. So this is on table L5, it's overpayment rate on all claims type. It's a 9.3%. We saw what that looked like on the, our circle graph in the beginning of the presentation, but looking at the dollar amount. And that's the way you need to look when you do your monitoring within your organization is calculate a rate, because you want to be tracking this information. And you may say, oh, well, we just, you know, have a seven or 8% um, overpayment rate. But um, if you calculate the dollar's amount that is, tied to that overpayment rate, uh, it'll make it more real for your organization. And then you'll be able to track and trend that and see how you do on a regular basis. And underpayments, uh, those need to be tracked uh, and trended in your organization as well. There was an underpayment rate amount of 0.3, but look at the total sample of the dollars that was paid, sample dollars underpaid and projected dollars that were underpaid all of that is still uh, significant so you want to make sure that you when you're doing your auditing and your monitoring that you are also looking at the underpayment rates I wanted to include, this is a cert contractor information for you. Uh, you will get, you know, a letter, uh, from them. That's part of their process. You get multiple letters, but be mindful of the timeframe because you don't want your information, uh, to go into the, um, the, the no documentation category just because you've lost track of it within, uh, your organization. You actually want it to be accredited and looked at so that you're not part of the error category. Maybe what you're sending in uh, will validate, um, uh, validate you need the the documentation with the information they they have. So you definitely do not want to miss uh, this process. So there's all the information for you. Now here's some resources that we talked about, Uh, you can look the CMS program, there's some information on compliance, the uh, statistical information about CERT, uh, if you want to do more training in your organization, and then the report that I shared with you all, 70 some pages of it, is um, there for you as well. So I just wanted to um, hand this back over to Catherine to see if she has any questions uh, for the Q&A before I do my closing
0: comments. Okay, great. Thank you, Pam. Um, We do have a few questions. Um, The first question was, I work in a small practice. What do you recommend on how to start with monitoring CERT findings in my practice? Oh, Catherine, that is a great question. And
1: uh, we get that all the time. Uh, small to medium-sized practices actually um, still struggle with ha- maintaining their compliance program. But when you look at the risk of not doing the monitoring, um, you can see the figures here. And this is from 50,000, you know, in the sampling. But each of the entities, uh, you're going to have your own error rates and your own uh, underpayments or own underpayments or overpayments that's unique to you and uh what I, I, i recommend this is just my opinion and i've seen this a lot is that uh you may have to hire someone to come in and set this structure up for you because generally um practice management in a small practice wears a lot of hats And it's just not feasible for that person to be able to initiate and monitor uh, this process. So having someone come in from the outside, set up the process, do the um, compliance training, set it up, and then if there is someone in the organization that you know can be trained and there is time for do that to do that you can uh, transition some pieces of that to them on an ongoing basis and then just have that consultant eventually just maybe become an independent um, entity to help with the external processes so there's there's different ways to do that the goal is to at least have something in place uh, that's a working document and that you're actually doing Um, there's, if you don't have a, an auditing process in, in place, what's worse than that is having a bunch of policies and procedures in place that your organization's
0: not following. True. Um, okay. So I had a a second question here now. Um, so how can I get my providers engaged in caring about cert findings? Oh, that's a great question, too. And what we have found is
1: that um, we kind of call it the written word, you know, uh, uh, us consultants that deal uh, with providers and large organizations. And when a a document like the CERT that comes out on an annual basis, this is great information that you can share with them to engage them, because this is everybody. (laughs) This is everybody. Uh, all the specialties, all the service types can be part of the 50,000 that they choose randomly uh, on an annual basis. So being proactive, you have all the information within the CERT report. Uh, doesn't matter what provider, what entity you work for, there's some valuable information there. So share share to them. They can generally acclimate to, uh, they're very good acclimating to their own specialties. They like to follow that, uh, that report that has the specialties and the type of
0: error category, I think that would be a great place for you to start. Perfect, thank you. Um, we have another question here now. Um, are there outside resources available to help get this going in my practice? Uh, yes, I have links for you as to why
1: you need uh, to get going. There's uh, compliance, there's auditing uh, organizations, uh, that you can find, uh, through, uh specialty, um, organizations, uh, with, all over the United States in your area. Uh, maybe connect if your doctor is a, a part of an organization, try within that organization to reach out to see if they have someone that could help you,
0: uh, with, uh, setting up your auditing program. Okay, great. Um. It looks like we have another question here. Um, Who would be responsible for this process in a medical practice?
1: Generally, it falls under the compliance officer, but um, like one of the other questions that we had, the small to medium-sized practices struggle with the proper uh, structure. Generally, this is Compliant, um, the compliance person uh, that's doing the auditing needs to report to the CEO and bypass the the other structure, you know, just for uh, lack of conflict of interest and and all of that. So uh, it would generally fall under the compliance officer within that particular structure. Uh, If you don't have a, a compliance officer, you know, I've shared information, get in contact with an organization that maybe you or your provider is uh, part of and kind of start with them to see, see how they recommend if you get someone that's used to your specialty um, then that will be a lot easier for everybody to get up and running with us.
0: great well thank you so much pam um, i know that our attendees can uh, contact you with your contact information there um, did you have any other final thoughts for our attendees any other um, tips or advice that maybe you thought of well, thanks, Catherine. Just uh, in in closing, um, I
1: hope that you agree with me. The CERT study is a goldmine of information, and it helps uh, every service type be able. To identify the potential errors and look at them the same way that auditors are going to do if they're pulled for sampling. And um, for l- a long time, if you're in healthcare, um, living in a, a "what if I get audited" world is kind of the culture uh, that we have to have uh, because it's just where we have grown to be in healthcare. So um, the uh, Hopefully, just one of the biggest takeaways that you have is that the um, search findings allow you the opportunity, no matter your service type, no matter what your specialty is, to identify your potential errors the same way that um, anybody is going to come in and audit for you. And I think that that's just uh, very good information. It's a great place for you to start. And even if you're actively uh, engaged in auditing... Maybe there's with some additional information to where you could expand your own random sampling uh, that you do within your entity. These are, you know, these, these are the core basics um, that's measured by by CMS and generally, you know, of course you're going to have other factors as well. But having these core findings and the cert document is a great way to start because you can develop your own um, own random sampling. Uh, you need to have uh, your uh, rate error rate uh, that you can track. So uh, hopefully you found a lot of value in, even though it wasn't something that you talk about on a regular basis with your team, that um, once you get more acquainted with this, you set up your program, that it becomes something that you do talk about uh, on a regular basis uh, with your uh, providers and your staff.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, I wanted to to thank you again for that. And so um, if we could use the the contact information on the screen, and also if you could um, please use if you attendees, if you have any other uh, questions and uh, if you think of them later, uh, you can forward them on to, to us and we'll uh, send them to Pam. Please remember, your Paycom CEU certificate will be emailed uh, to you directly from Paycom within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. You can also register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website, which is firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778, and thank you for joining us.